Have no step off the limb. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Welcome everybody to the monthly movie dispatch. We get together every month and we talk about what movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 other movie-related shows is that we're high school friends and have been doing this discussing movies for 15 years. We love talking film and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. I'm uh, I'm Nick Moffat. I'm here with uh, Sean Bowlby. Hello. Brandon Bowlby. Hey, guys. And Derek. Hi. Anyway, um, we're going to get this episode started real quick. We have a bunch of movies to talk about. But right at the top, I just want to say that we are going to have a special episode in addition to this one. Me and Derek have been doing Horror Movie Month, where we've been watching one horror movie every single day. We're recording this on October 29th. Wait, is it the 20th or is it the 30th? The, the 30th. 30th. So, uh, yeah, we should have one or two movies left. We're getting close to the end of the month, and we're going to do a whole special episode, a shorter but special episode on Horror Movie Month. Yeah, I think we just need to just, dump, just try, dive right into it. So, the first movie that we're going to talk about, Hold the Dark. So, Brandon, this is one that both me and you saw. Uh, what do you think? So, uh, this is Jeremy... Selnier's new movie, however you say his name. Um, yeah, he's great. a he's an awesome director. We've been following for a bit now. Director of Blue Ruin and the incredible horror film Green Room. Uh, this movie is wasn't necessarily my favorite. Um, I still like saw his brilliance throughout this movie, and the mood was very unsettling. And there were some definitely some like standout scenes that he like directed the shit out of. Um, but I had, I had kind of a hard time getting into it. I, I kind of gave this like two and a half stars and I'm still looking forward to what he does next, but I don't know if I could really recommend this to too many people. Oh, really? I didn't realize you didn't like it so much. Maybe I should have started with this one, jumped it right over to you, but I like this movie a lot. Um, yeah, Jimmy Salonier is a great director. Uh, basically it takes place in Alaska and it's a very quiet, lonely movie with just a lot of, a lot of, uh, shots of the wilderness and like Alaskan sort of, uh, mythology and, uh, just eeriness and, uh, kind of, kind of weird, maybe supernatural, maybe just dark people sort of thing. And, um, very looming. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, very om- ominous movie, uh, very tonal, but also very slow because of that. I mean, what drew me to it, the first thing I want to say is that this movie just dumped right up on Netflix. It was on Netflix just overnight. I didn't even know it was going to be on there. So it was really exciting having a director that we like so much just, oh, wow, he has a new movie out today. It's a, this is great. And it definitely didn't have as much power as Blue Ruin or Green Room, but um, I just kept thinking, like, in terms of movies that take place in Alaska, I'd, I'd probably put it in the top five. Was it a horror film? Um, I I considered it part of Horror Movie Month, but... Um, There's I, no I, scares in the movie. Right. But it's, it's just like, really dark. It's like... like, like it's very tonally like dark and uh, ominous and feeling frightful, 
But at the end of the day, it's probably more of a thriller. Like, I probably shouldn't have counted it as, as much as I did. But uh, I think it toes that line between horror and... The trailer made me think it was a horror. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I guess that was more of a thriller. But, well, uh, anyway, you can watch it for free. I would recommend it. It's called Hold the Dark. It's on Netflix right now. Brandon, you got another movie you wanted to bring up. Okay, so... It's a new movie I saw. Uh, it's a documentary called Free Solo by the same documentarian who did the film um, Meru, which is another really great climbing film. Uh, this film is one of the better documentaries I've seen in a while. Like I'm a little bit discovering about myself that I'm genuinely afraid of heights. And there's been some situations in the last couple of years where I've really like gave myself anxiety. And I don't know if this made the movie even better because what this movie did to me, I have never in my life felt this way before while seeing a film. Um, I was squirming out of my chair, like, and it wasn't just me, like the, the entire audience in the theater was just gasping and on edge. The shots that these filmmakers get while following this guy who's uh, doing a completely free solo climb which is no ropes and no other people to help you if you get stuck halfway up the mountain you have to either climb down or finish your climb no one's coming to get you um it is so fucking nerve-wracking to watch this film and i like i i just can't believe they did what they did filming wise and you know climbing wise um and the story behind it is super interesting and well shot leading up to the climb. And so I like I can't recommend this documentary enough. I, I wish everyone could have saw it in theaters. Um, I know it's probably leaving at this point. It's still in a few theaters in Seattle right now. Um, I actually might see it. I, I wanted to go see it today, but uh, nice. might yes. go see it tomorrow. I, yeah, can't recommend it enough to see in theaters. It's in such a unique experience. Yeah, fuck all that. I I would never <laughs> I would never make it as a climber. But I'm not I'm not rock climbing. I decided. <laughs> yeah, I give this documentary four and a half stars. All right, so that's a free solo. It's probably still in some theaters. Catch it while you can. So Derek, you got a movie? Yeah, <clears throat> one of the first movies I watched this month, actually for Horror Movie Month, was the Strangers sequel, Strangers Pray at Night. <clears throat> I wanted to talk about this movie because it's just it's. For whatever reason, it's one of the movies that I have not stopped thinking about all month long. It's like, it's so, it's not a great movie. Like, I gave it two and a half stars. I, I really want to rewatch it. I'll probably even raise it up. But uh, what's really fascinating about this movie is they, like, commit 100% to trying to, like, mimic but in a genuine way the like cinematography and stuff from older 70s like slashers and uh uh i mean i, I noticed a lot later on when i watched like halloween and stuff i could kind of see the kind of thing they were trying to do which is like a lot of cameras that aren't really moving but zooming in on different things it's it's kind of hard to describe without showing you what i'm talking about but this movie really commits to it without like without doing what the trend in Hollywood is right now, which is making like an eighties movie, you know. So I mean if you know what the strangers are, like the whole point behind 
them as a slasher villain is that they're mo- the most minimalistic thing imaginable. They don't run. They don't. They don't like. I mean, I guess they do run a little bit in this movie, but they're like they're so minimalistic. They have no motive. They don't. You know, nothing. There's no. There's nothing going on behind their mask. They just. They're bored. And so they, they like to make people really squirmish until they stab them to death. I don't know. It's a weird movie, but um, it's one I couldn't I could not stop thinking about. It has a really great score, too. And it's also the shortest movie I watched. I think it's only like an hour, 20 minutes or something. That's with credits. Uh, so that movie is Strangers Pray at Night, and I think it's available on Amazon Prime right now. Yes. So, Brandon, you had another movie. Yeah, so I saw The Old Man and the Gun. I think I maybe watched this like the day after we recorded our last podcast. So it seems like a long time ago now. Um, but this is David Lowry's uh, new film. Uh, it's also acclaimed Robert Redford's final film he'll ever be in. Um, it's kind of his swan song. And this is a, a really simple, beautiful, nice movie. Um, I pretty much enjoyed everything about it. I am not necessarily like, you know, running home shouting, ecstatic, like ecstatic about it, but it's like, it's such a pleasant, um, fun watch and the performances are incredible. David Lowry's directing style is really beautiful and stands out at several moments throughout the movie. Um, the movie's like really breezy hour and 40 minutes long and, um, I don't know. It's a great send off to Robert Redford. It's a really memorable performance with him. So yeah. What is, what is this movie about? It is about a old man who likes to rob banks and has been doing it his whole life and never wants to stop. And he is like a very fun, kind gentleman while he does the robbing. So everyone like likes him and talks about how nice he was afterwards to the police. Okay. That does sound very, very nice and fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's a kind Um, of a heist movie, but like, yeah, it's a heist movie in like the simplest way. Okay. Um, and it's about, uh, it's about him in this like blossoming relationship at the end of his life. Um, it's a, it's a great quaint movie. Uh, very highly recommended. Cool. So that's the old man, the gun that's still in theaters now. I just checked actually. It's playing in Marysville, so it's it's wide released right now. So oh, yeah, nice. it's in a couple uh, okay. theaters around Seattle. Glad it expanded. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up a movie called Slice, and uh, unfortunately, this was a pretty big disappointment for me. I was pretty excited about this movie. Um, it's a A twenty four release, and it stars Chance the Rapper who's, you know, I'm a big Chance fan, and um, a few other comedians and stuff, like Hannibal Burris is in it, and um, just a few other people, and it's about um, this, basically it takes place in this world where ghosts are real, and they're living among us, like, just like people, they're just, they're just, they they live in this town, there's like 40,000 of them, and uh, there's, someone is killing pizza delivery drivers, and to me, it just sounds like a really fun concept. Oh and, oh, and there's werewolves and witches. Chance the Rapper plays a werewolf. And so it's just like, okay, so supernatural stuff just happens, and it's just part of our world. And 
oh, there's a mystery where someone is killing pizza delivery drivers. This it just it just sounded like a fun jaunt of a horror movie, like a horror comedy that has a you know has an edge to it. And um, I got really excited about the premise. And then it's it's free on Amazon Prime, so you know it was like, oh yeah, cool, definitely. I'm really excited about this. And it uh, it was pretty bad. Like it was like shockingly like. It sets up pretty. They set the premise pretty well, but very quickly, it's like it. It just is filmed like a Disney Channel original movie. Like it just looks just sloppy and uh, plain, and just like it just looks bad and like low budget and just like like nothing's happening. And then and then there's no tension throughout the movie either. Like I know it's a horror comedy, but there still should be some tension, and it just. The, they they lo- there wasn't enough pizza they there wasn't enough of the of the murder mystery and they quickly changed to this big this bigger more epic plot that really just cut all the tension away it just it turned out to be trash and I mean it was very short it was like 80 minutes but I don't know uh, I was I was pretty disappointed in this in this uh, in this movie that could have had a, a really fun time unfortunately, there wasn't enough pizza, and I went home hungry. Uh, Brandon, uh, what is uh, your next movie? Yeah, so another movie I saw is this documentary film called Minding the Gap. It's actually available right now streaming on Hulu, so that's pretty interesting, all these movies going up direct. Um, this is one of the probably going to be one of the better documentaries of the whole year. I give this four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Um, it's, it's this uh, young twenties filmmakers, I believe is his first film, him growing up with this group of three best friends, um, in kind of middle nowhere suburbs, um, low income families. And he has, and uses all this old archival footage of him and his friends skateboarding. Um, he also follows them through their teenage years and into their early twenties and, what they grew up to be and what they grew up to become and has all this really intimate footage of his friends and also his friends home life. This film is, is so honest. It takes a really brutal look at things like alcoholism and domestic violence and abuse that him and his friends had to go through growing up. And the amount, <clears throat> the amount of like sincere interviews that this director is able to get with his subjects is just unlike anything else you'll see. It's so captivating and really moving when you're actually seeing these people tell their stories. Um, underneath just the backdrop of them growing up and you know, shooting the shit and skateboarding and being really good at it, this being all of their passions. So, I mean, I highly recommend this movie. I think it's going to be one of the best documentaries of the year, and it's easy to find on on Hulu. You've got two documentaries this month as, uh, like, best documentaries of the year. Um, Yeah, I've heard all about this movie. I'm thinking about signing up for Hulu just to watch this movie. And maybe a few other movies, but like, I don't have Hulu anymore, and I can't find another way to watch it. So, Okay, so that one's Minding the Gap. It's exclusively on Hulu. Uh, Derek, what's your next movie? 
<clears throat> my next movie is another movie from Horror Movie Month uh, called Apostle. Do Have you guys seen The Raid Redemption? No. Okay. So this is Gareth Evans, uh, the director of Raid Redemption and The, <clears throat> the Raid 2. Um, when those movies, well, I haven't seen the sequel, but the first one, when it was, it was sold to me as like a guy at work was convinced that they were snuff films, <laughs> like, cause the violence is so, so well done that it's very hard to even understand how they do it in those movies. Like, it's just so violent and it's so... It's uh, he does a lot of really long takes, and so uh, that's where I was introduced with him uh, to him was during that movie. And then I remember there's this movie called VHS, and I think it was the sequel. Uh, he did a horror segment. It's the best part of the movie. It's really, it's really scary, terrifying, awesome uh, one take like scene thing that they do. Um, and so Apostle is his first full length horror film. It was released straight on Netflix this month, um, starring <clears throat> Dan Stevens and Michael Sheen. And it's a simple story. Pretty much this guy, uh, his sis- they get a ransom note for his sister. Uh, it's part of a rich family. And so his father sends him to this island where these people are that sent him the ransom note to see if he can find her and try to get her out, ideally without paying the ransom. So that's kind of the plot of the movie. Uh, the reason why I set all that up is because this movie is... Like, the violence in this movie is so shocking. I think, like, that is becoming Gareth Evans' like gimmick, is that they're... Like, no one does violence the way he does it. It's just so graphic and unexpected and, like in your face and like it overstays its welcome every time and this movie it feels like that with every single kill in this movie and uh yeah i don't know like i love this this is probably gonna be i think it has a good chance of making it into my top 10 uh movies of the year it's also just like a really beautiful set design i don't don't really know I'm guessing they just built like a little town to shoot it in because it's really, really, um, just really, really well shot, really beautiful. And is it is it uh, Indonesian, at, or at least is that where it takes place? I don't, it doesn't take place there, so I don't I don't believe so. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what this guy does going forward because like I don't know, this is pretty impressive and it's pretty it's very different from. Like, all of his other movies, besides his short on VHS, are, like, violent, uh, you know, fighting movies. Like, it's all, you know, martial arts and stuff. And so this is is a pretty big turn, and I don't think he misses a beat with it at all. It's scary, it's really fast, like, there's just a lot going on, and it doesn't ever slow down. And it's legitimately really scary at times, and, um... I compare it to like the witch, but I think the witch is a lot more authentic. Like they spend a lot more time making it feel like it actually happened, you know, in a real place. Well, this feels this is a little more fantastical, but uh, it's really great. You guys should all watch it. 
yeah, I'm really excited about this movie. I was trying to watch it before. I was trying to watch it as part of Horror Movie Month, and uh, um, either way, I'm going to watch it this year. But yeah, it, it looks great. Like, the trailer's legitimately scary, too. So Yeah. So that was Apostle, and you can find it on Netflix. Hey, Sean, uh, how's it going over there? <clears throat> uh, it's going good. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm going to talk about the movie, uh, mid nineties, which is, uh, Jonah Hill's directorial debut. Um, it's, it's about a, it's, it's kind of a coming of age story about a young 13 year old boy, um, as he, uh, kind of befriends a new older group of, of people, uh, kind of maybe 17, 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, and it's just kind of about him hanging out with them for a summer and um, all the the stuff that they get into and they, they kind of bring him into their world. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's honestly kind of a, a rough movie to watch, uh, at least for me. It was, it was kind of um, – it was kind of tough to watch in some parts. It was – Like what do you mean by that? Like, uh... like there's some – it, just the, the kinds of things that, that this young, like, he it, he kind of looks like a baby. Um, and, he, and he's doing all these very grown-up things, like getting into drinking. And, mm. um, yeah, it's just, like, it's the the things that he's exposed to from this new group of friends. is It's kind of hard to watch such a young kid get into those kind of things. Um, but... Uh, it's it's a really interesting movie and how it portrays that that uh, part of this kid's life. Um, <clears throat> it's a very honest movie. Uh, a lot of the dialogue is so well done and it's it feels so authentic to how kids talk. Like they're they're talking about very um, adult um, complex ideas, um, but they're speaking about them like they're little kids. Like they don't the, like the way that they, they talk about it. It's very authentic, um, for, for their age. <clears throat> um, but one inter- really interesting thing, what I recommend, uh, people do is actually watch this movie and, um, the movie eighth grade, which came out earlier this year, uh, as a double feature. Um, cause there's a lot of really interesting overlap, in the two movies and, um, in, in some of the subjects that they, they, um, talk about. Um, but also a lot of like, they, these two movies treat those, that subject matter in very different ways. And it's, um, it's, I've kind of talked a little bit about it with Kelly and, um, there's some really interesting like conversations to be had in comparing these two, those two movies. Yeah, it's definitely a very impressive uh, debut. Kind of out of left field, too. Well, cool. So, um, uh, that's mid-90s. That's in theaters right now. So, uh, check it out. Um, Now we're going to move on to the feature reviews. We have four feature reviews today, so uh, we have a lot to talk about. And I don't know if there's any of the... There's one... The last one we'll do, all four of us have seen. But other than the other three we haven't all seen them so we're going to try to keep spoilers to a very very minimum and uh just talk about our general thoughts with these movies um 
I'm pretty excited about to talk about the first one. So up first is A Star is Born. Um, brief plot summary. A musician helps a young singer find fame, even as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. This was the de- directorial debut of Bradley C- Cooper, and it stars Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, and Sam Elliott. And it's also the fourth version of the same movie. So it's a remake of the 1937 movie and the 1954 movie and the 1976 movie. And this is the new 2018 movie. So um, I want to pass this over to Sean first. Sean, what were your uh, first general thoughts about A Star is Born? Yeah, uh, I, I really liked the movie. Um, I thought it was just like, it was just such a beautiful love story for me. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the relationship between Bradley Cooper and, uh, and Lady Gaga is just like so authentic on, str- on screen. And these moments that just play out in kind of really long scenes just between these two characters uh, is just so beautiful and um, brilliantly performed by both on both sides. Uh, Bra- both Bradley Cooper, who we know is a incredible actor, and Lady Gaga, who is um, who's also does an amazing job in this movie. Yeah, I thought her performance was very natural. It was just like yeah. it, it felt very real right from the get go. Yeah, it was. Uh, like the music is is incredible. I've listened to that that song several times over the last month or so since I saw it. Um, it's one of those songs that had a hard time getting out of my head. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, and, and like that the scene um, that you know is kind of in all the trailers and you know that the build up to that scene is just so powerful um, and beautiful and um, yeah. Uh, Brandon, uh, you saw it after Sean did. What uh, what were your general thoughts about the movie? I mean, I agree with um, most everything you guys said, and um, I was also pretty like impressed with the cinematography of the movie as well. Like right from the get go, when uh, Bradley Cooper is on stage and they're doing all these really tight shots on his like fingers and strumming. And um, really focusing on the band on stage, it looks so real and like gritty, like almost like a document, like documentary crew is on stage with them filming um, and getting all these really good live shots. Like it's so believable all their performances. Um, so and that was uh, Matthew Liebertique who shot it, who who did uh, Black Swan and The Wrestler and um, uh, oh god, Darren Aronofsky, all Darren Aronofsky movies. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, no wonder it's like amazing shaky cam. I guess is his specialty, close up shaky cam. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was really great. Like, it could easily be up for an Oscar in that category as well. Um, I was loving this movie for most of it, and I guess for me, the third act just kind of it didn't tank by any means. But for me, the third act just kind of like slowly um, dwindled a little bit in my enjoyment. Um, it like, it took a few things. It was weird. It was like being super like reserved in some aspects. And then all of a sudden there was a few parts where it was like taking it too far. And I was getting really frustrated by 
the direction they were taking um, their connection um, once uh, Lady Gaga's career takes a turn. And and then the ending was, the ending really kind of, you know, pissed me off and I thought it was a little bit cheap and, um, and forced. Uh, I know a lot of people were like crying all over the place, but I don't, it did not, it did not connect to me at all. And it kind of came out of nowhere for me. And so I really liked most of this film. And for me, it's too bad that the ending didn't follow through. Yeah, I think the movie does have kind of two pretty distinct parts to it. Like the first part is them building their relationship. And then the second part is them kind of dealing with um, their fame and the dealing with their relationship. And um, I, I do think like in maybe in the middle somewhere, maybe uh, halfway through the movie, it starts getting a little slow. I didn't really know where the movie was going. Um, but for me the end by the time you actually get to the ending it like i feel like they treated his kind of um his depression or his like the way he deal he's dealt with um the things in his life throughout the the movie uh actually really worked for me and um yeah i thought like the way it dealt with his his depression and maybe mental illness um addiction and everything I thought was really really well done yeah I mean I thought a lot of whether or not you like the ending I thought the whole movie hinged on if you really bought into how much they loved each other you know it was like it was a romance beyond anything else and and for for me at least I was 100% in like I just was 100% in on their relationship and I really liked how it developed how you know I mean we all saw it coming you know it's a it's a classic movie tale where you know this she's the up and coming star and he's the established star who's aging and will inevitably go downhill and I thought the way they handled her rise and wanting to still be with him no matter what and even trying to like bring him up with her as all he's doing is like bringing her down is I thought it was like really well done. And, and it was subtle too. It was like, I, I watched a, a little bit about some of the other, um, a star is born movies. And in some of those clips, you can see the actors just, you know, getting really dr- melodramatic and, and the drama is, is right there on screen. Um, but I really felt like this movie was very reserved and, um, and really subtle in how it was dealing with that drama and and how the people were dealing with what they were going through. I, I thought it went back and forth, but on the note of them doing it well, I really liked the scene kind of when it all comes out, but it's so subtle um, when he, you know, his first major scene of jealousy and then she kind of ends up like pushing cake into his face or wait, he pushed cake into her face in the hotel room and and she just laughs it off and moves on and no one ends up like yelling at each other um i don't know if you guys are know what oh, yeah, absolutely. About, that was i thought like, that was like really well, they subtle did it in a way where they called back of an earlier scene and it tur- they turned it into a really sweet moment like in any other film that would have been a huge dramatic fight but that was one thing for me where it was like no she like absolutely loves this man like she loves him so much that she's she's able to kind of brush off his negativity and remember that they're actually cute together. So, I mean, I, I loved this movie. 
Like I, I was pretty skeptical, skeptical about it going in just because the trailer was, the trailer was a little too cheesy for me. And you know, for me, it was like, they had that moment in the trailer where he's like, I just want to get one last look at you. And she's like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> and I was like, uh, oh, that's, that's not, that's not good. And then, and then in the trailer, you know, and they made that make sense in the movie. Cause he's like super drunk, like that whole night and morning. Yeah. So like it kind of works more in the context of the movie than it did in that. Right. Trailer. Well, I mean, everything is context. And then, you know, and then Lady Gaga starts singing and it's great. And like, you know, all of that is in the trailer, but I mean, like I got like so emotionally connected in all of that, like their first night hanging out where, yeah, he's drunk, but I mean, she's, she's high on all of it too. Like, and they're seen in the parking lot and they're just connecting over everything. And that one last look is cheesy, but it's like, it is sweet. And then, you know, you see it all in the trailer. I mean, I don't, I know I don't really want to get too much in spoilers, but you know, he brings her up on stage and it's this huge moment for, her, and it's like the culmination of everything in her whole life. And you don't even know her, but you can just feel it. And, um, I've, I probably cried in that scene harder than I've cried in like any movie ever. Like, I know it's weird to say because Ooh. it was like a happy scene, but like, tears were straight up just pouring down my face like like dripping onto my lap i was just like bawling with like this like i don't know i i've i something snapped in me and i just like i lost it and was just so emotional in that movie and uh yeah i just just i just thought it was really powerful and so yeah i mean maybe the first half was better than the second half but you know, I was a kind of I, I I bought in on their relationship, and I was just I was just I was just I was just in, you know, just in on this movie. So, um, that that's a Star is Born. You can still catch it in theaters now. The next movie that we're gonna talk about is the new Halloween, uh, which is a sequel to the nineteen seventy eight movie Halloween. Uh, not to get confused by the other sequel, Halloween 2, or the other Halloween sequels, or Halloween H2O, or the Rob Zombie Halloweens. This Halloween is a direct sequel to the only to the 1978 movie. So, brief plot summary. Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree in Hollywood, on Hollywood night four years ago. It's directed by David Gordon Green and stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy Machkik. Anyway, so I want to bring this over to Derek right away. Derek, tell me about Halloween. Yeah, I loved this movie so much. And I do think there's truth to the fact that when we see movies in the that Dolby theater, I think it automatically adds like a star to whatever it is. Like I've never had a bad time in that movie theater. It's just like, it's like, I I probably would have given a star is born five stars. If I saw that (laughs) in the Dolby theater. Yeah. I watched solo there and just had like the best time ever at the theaters. God, gross. <laughs> it's so like again, Bohemian this, Rhapsody. Like I think we should all go see Bohemian Rhapsody and just give it. It's gonna be our reviews. favorite movie of the year. Yeah, yeah. Across the board, five stars. <laughs> but um, honestly, like I loved this movie so much. I thought I don't really have much. I don't really have anything to nitpick about it. I don't. I don't know. Like I, I feel like they did everything 
right like the way that a sequel should be done and not just i don't know horror sequels are weird because it's hard to figure out what is authentic and what is like you know it's just like horror movies make money generally and so like there's just a ton of horror sequels because they're really easy to make this one i feel like was probably really hard to make it feels like they didn't take any easy uh they didn't like take any easy approach to making this movie work. Like when you bring back a iconic actress or actor to a role, I feel like more often than not, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. It does. They don't fit properly in the movie. Um, I think Jamie Lee Curtis fit perfectly in this movie. I, I believed everything. Um, I, I thought there was a cool direction to take her character. I like the idea of like this, um like ptsd driven like mom who's just dedicated like there's she can't get this out of her head yeah grandma (laughs) and like she's the crazy old grandma that like is still obsessing over this this night you know but it's like i don't know it kind of makes sense it's like yeah like it's nuts (laughs) i don't know um yeah i totally hear what you're saying like they they kind of uh they they had enough callbacks to the original where uh, it was like a sequel because they pulled some of the same tricks as the original, but they were like aware of what they're doing and subvert your expectations with it. And also like, um, you know, it, it was very aware of the time period too. Like there's a character in the movie at some point who says, you know, much stuff, much worse things happen all the time. Like why is she still hung up on this thing that happened in the seventies when it was just like, okay, so some guy killed, like some guy killed her, uh, her, her, her friends and family. But like, you know, like this happens like all the time now in America. So what, what's the big deal? And uh, I mean, uh, I I would say the movie shows you why it's a big deal because Michael Myers is uh, scary as fuck. So, Yeah, and they do, like, they lay a really solid foundation, too. Uh, you know, it sounds like a lot of people don't like those two characters that the movie kind of starts out with, the podcasters. But I actually really like that whole little storyline that they build into that first 20 minutes of the movie. Because it lays a solid foundation of, like, you know, what this world is like. You know, Michael Myers is in this creepy freaking facility, and, like, they add this weird mysticism to him, um, you know, where they just, like, where they're kind of taunting him out on the, the courtyard. And I don't even know what's happening, but everyone, all the people around them start going crazy and, like, screaming and stuff. And uh, I don't, like, I think this movie was genuinely very scary. And not even, it doesn't really have any jump scares, maybe one or two. I can't think of any that stand out as uh, big jump scares. There's a lot of, um, like, it's a lot of just, like, tone and a lot of just um, creepy moments. Like, the the gas station scene is genuinely really scary, I think. He's, like, when he first starts killing people, you know, and he gets his mask and all that stuff. And I think they did a, a really good job at not taking any easy way through this movie yeah Um, one thing that i thought was really interesting about the movie was how like with the podcasters they were trying to figure out 
they're trying to figure out Michael Myers. And then there's like the doctor who's trying to figure out Michael Myers. And you know, they've made so many sequels all about Michael Myers. And they've made, you know, Rob Zombie's made his Michael Myers movies. And it's like, what is the fascination with Michael Myers? And Laurie Strode is kind of just like, well, he's the boogeyman. He's just like this scary guy who kills for no reason. And yeah. there isn't anything more to him than that. He just kills. And yeah. it's like, okay, that's kind of boring. You know, that's kind of like a uh, uninteresting, like, okay, he's just a bore. He's just a guy who kills. Okay. Wh- what's the interest in that? And I don't know. Uh, after this movie, I decided that it's, that's, that is so much more interesting that he, like, that is a true boogeyman. And that guy could be out there, you know, like there could be just fucking crazy people who just kill. You know, like, and he could just go into your house and kill you. And that is like killing for nonsensical, no reason. Like that's so much scarier in a lot of ways. And, uh, I don't know. I bumped this movie up a half a star. Like, I think I initially gave it three and a half and I bumped it up to four because, uh, I started just like seeing Michael Myers in the dark. Like I just started seeing him outside my window and (laughs) in my living room, like at night when I was going to the bathroom and like, Yep, yep. Uh, uh, he might not be the literal like boogeyman, but like the concept of him being like a boogeyman that just kills people. Yeah, no, that's scary. Uh, that's fucked up. Uh, so I, I'm done. <laughs> so I actually watched um, <clears throat> the first movie for the, or Halloween eighty uh, or seventy eight, uh, and I finished it an hour before I went to see this Halloween. And that um, was actually, I'm really glad I did because uh, there were so many clever callbacks uh, to the original Halloween and not in like cheesy kind of, um, you know, saying the, the, the tagline from the first movie and, you know, um, you know, like you're, you're terminated fucker type of line. Um, the callbacks were all very subtle and it was like, it was mimicking shots from the first movie, and but but switching it up in a really clever way um, <clears throat> that I really enjoyed for this one. Um, yeah, it had yeah. like an old uh, kind of feel to it. I think that goes with them like mimicking or you know uh, trying to figure out John Carpenter's like style that he uh, defined with that first movie. I feel like. I don't know. This whole movie kind of felt uh, out of time. Like it, it's not. It didn't feel like a 2018 movie. Like it was kind of grainy and uh, uh, shot very similarly. Um, well, there aren't too many slashers nowadays, too. Either. Like, well, that's uh, that's true. That's the other thing. Is yeah, I haven't seen like a great uh, slasher that isn't like supernatural. Um, like it is supernatural. Right, and, uh, or like there? I was trying to think of like like the probably the other, the only other slasher I can think of in the last ten years is like your next, um, but even that it's like it's so gimmick based like the whole and it's a great movie but it's all about one specific like gimmick as opposed to just a scary person with a knife you know, and I think this movie just did that it just it like you said like it it brought Hush. it made. Yeah, Hut, but Hush is also entirely gimmick based. It's all about from a perspective of a deaf and mute person. Yeah, true. And so um, I don't know. I think 
it's just it is i think it is just a sign of the times it's just it is hard to make this scary when literally everything else is scarier <laughs> but they i think they've figured they kind of figured it out how to do it in this movie and i, I think all the characters are really great like i mentioned um jamie lee curtis um yeah, she was she, fantastic in this movie she's really great in this and uh I think they just, everyone just felt really fleshed out. Like, I don't know, even the side characters just felt like people, you know, the babysitter chick and like the little kid she was babysitting. Uh, I don't know, like everything was just, and they had some good humor. And uh, for me, just everything clicked in this movie. So will this be in your top 10 since you liked it better than Apostle? I don't know that I liked it more than apostle i think it's probably more uh it's more perfected of a film when compared side by side whoa but that doesn't necessarily mean i like it more okay great so that's uh halloween and uh, that's still in theaters now so the next movie is first man uh, brief plot summary, a look at the life of the astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. This is directed by Damien Chazelle and stars Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, and Jason Clark. So, I didn't see this movie. Um, just want to put it out there, so I don't have anything to say. And uh, I think we're going to go to Sean first on this one. Um, yeah, so this, this movie, uh, is actually, um, as much about kind of the, the start and the development of the American space program, um, as it is about the actual Apollo 11 mission where they landed on the moon. It actually starts, uh, even before the Gemini program, um, <clears throat> and kind of, uh, explores the whole kind of development of, of the space, uh, the space race at the time, uh, you know, it goes into like, uh, Neil Armstrong going up in Apollo eight and, um, and doing the first docking mission. And, and even before that, when he was testing kind of the first, um, orbital space flights and, and stuff like that, uh, or suborbital space flights. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting historical movie, um, and it gets gets into quite a bit of detail as to what the what the people actually went through and what they had to do and all the problems they had to solve and and challenges they had to overcome in order to um, to actually get to the moon to to put someone on the moon. Um, but but the movie like it, it doesn't like it doesn't portray this history as as kind of a triumph of the human spirit or the, the bravery of the astronauts. It's not like some kind of, um, over the top, um, glorification of the, uh, the space program. It's, it brings it right down to earth and it really shows you how terrifying, um, it is to actually be in one of these basically giant bombs with, uh, a capsule attached to the top of it uh, and, and being shot off into space. It's, um, he does a great job of showing you how terrifying these machines actually are. Um, 
He treats it like it's a suicide yeah. mission as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, and it was which is amazingly unique mm-hmm, to see for sure. And, and like the the sound design and the cinematography and um, everything works so well to just make you feel like you're in there and to just be absolutely terrified. Um, to be in this capsule with these with these people like even just stepping into the capsule there's they're sitting there and it's quiet and you know the they're just sitting there on the launch pad and you can hear the the creaking of the of the rocket as it kind of shifts in the wind and you can hear like metal clanking and it's um it, it yeah it really brings the whole thing right down to earth and but I also don't feel like it really got too bogged down in the details of, of what they were doing. Um, I, I really felt like it was always moving and it was always uh, very exciting and, and thrilling um, and horrifying what, what they were going through. Um, and yeah, it just, it just really kept the movie going for me. Um, but it was also very emotional. Like there was, there was some great emotional moments throughout the movie that really kind of illuminated who these, this person was. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what Damien Chazelle does throughout this film is, is genius filmmaking. Um, every single one of their test flights, as you've already stated is absolutely incredible. Um, like I, you're just holding your breath and I couldn't, I was so shocked at the angle he took at showing these astronauts going through these different um, testing procedures and different flights. It like the, the forethought it, it took to decide to shoot your subjects in that rough of a light was is just mm-hmm. amazing because I've never seen that before in anything. Yeah. Um, I, th- one thing I missed and I wish he had gone for was to um, was to show a little bit more of the like isolation like i wish he had taken some time to just show them like sitting on their asses Mm -hmm. for you know days on end yeah Um, because everything else was so vivid and real and um anxiety ridden and even those quiet moments could have been the same just like dealing with the boredom of the four-day journey to the moon or yeah. yeah in that tiny little capsule but anyways i don't want to tell him what to do um on top of that uh I, I kind of, I was a little bit, to just throw my negative out there, I was a little bit tired of the, a little bit bored of the home life antics, just because the rest of it was so good. And it's not like any of the home life stuff was bad, but um, I just wish there was, I mean, there was so much like creativity in the other side of it that I think the stuff at home, besides the like super strong performances, didn't have too much unique angle going on with all that stuff. So to me, that that half or maybe third of the movie was just a little bland and I wished he had either just got rid of it or spiced hmm. it up somehow with a different angle. Um, and then right up until the, the ending, just holy fuck, the, the landing on the moon is, is really remarkable. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I think you said it pretty well, Sean. Yeah. I applaud Damien Chazelle for this film. I haven't ever had an experience like this before in a movie where, <clears throat> where like those details feel so authentic and so accurate that um what's the docking mission is that apollo 8 yeah the the docking it, mission like, no that was uh that was gemini 8 
Gemini Eight. Like when they're in, like when they're once they're like out and they're like in space. Like there's a moment there where I was just like, oh, so this is what it feels like to be in space. Like it felt so real, and I personally was so claustrophobic in that moment. Like, um, it's pretty magical what they're able to do. And they even like they're just looking out the window, like as if you would do that in your car right. to try to find mm-hmm, something. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, where is it? We're like, where are we supposed to dock? I wonder when yeah, we'll see it. Like, like and that's they have no idea if they're going to see. Yeah, because right. like they're just they're just um, you know they're they're flying up there and they're trying to get to this other this other ship that launched like maybe an hour before they did, um, and they're trying to catch up to it. And they they're just like doing the math on a piece of paper, like trying to figure out: do we need to speed up? Do we yeah, need to slow down? Has like, a, a pen we should in be his able hand. to see it. And they're just like looking out the window. All right, I hope this, you know, we we should be in the area. We should be able to see it soon. And they're just looking out the window for this thing. Whereas, like, there's not even any radar. There's not like, you know, there's nothing yeah. there. And you just feel like you just said, Derek. You're just like, holy shit, they are in empty space. Yeah. And you just have that feeling that you've never really had before, yeah. and I don't. It's it's kind of like a like a stoner moment that people express all the time. But you're just like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. Like, like I've never actually like my insides actually feel this. Yeah, yeah. and it's just. Fuck I that. think it's just. <laughs> I'm not going to space either. It's <laughs> the free solo. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> no, fuck that. I'm not going to space. I'm fine with that. <laughs> It's really it's fun to see filmmakers at work that are clearly so much smarter than you as an audience member. It's like there, there's all this deliberate stuff that's just like jammed into this movie that are so fast you don't even notice them. But like they have, they have a full shot of just like screws in the side of like their capsule that they're in, like. Or the condensation on the window yeah. dripping down. It's just like all these things that when you yeah exactly. It's all these things that if you're sitting in that seat and you're just like waiting to be in space, like these are the things you're going to be looking at as a rocket's exploding ten feet behind your head and shooting you at you know however fast it is. Like these are the things that you're going to be noticing that nobody else would ever even think of looking at or would even take these things into account except for those people in those seats and they're able to capture that and relay it to the audience. It, that's that's crazy to me. Like how I can't even like I don't even know how they came up with something like that. Like I need a There's shot this of screws. one brilliant shot where they're walking down the like hallway to get into the spaceship and the camera pans out one of the small windows for such a quick amount of time, and you see off of the end distance another like space launch start going. I think up. that's the same one, and then right? it pans back to the actors walking down the yeah, hallway. Yeah, that's the Gemini Eight mission. They were so that's the rocket that they're chasing. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and then that's it like because really it, cool. yeah, it like yeah. looks, but it's such a quick throwaway. Yeah. Like, but it like looks the camera <laughs> looks shot. up first, and you can see all the lights moving and like. You, you yeah. can see everything shaking and then it pans out the window and there's just another another rocket launching on another pad. And then it's yeah, just- this movie has better cinematography and throwaway like two second shots than entire films like strive mm-hmm. for in just one moment. Yeah. 
It's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to say about the home life, uh, I completely disagree with Brandon. Like, I all that stuff landed so well for me. And it really, like, brought home, I think, that may be part of the message of this movie, if there is one, or what we learned from the space race, which is literally, like, it's just these brilliant people that are just, like, banking on their brilliance for their survival in all of these, like, <laughs> these scenarios that weren't, they're, none of them are fully tested, none of them are foolproof, and it's just these like cocky guys that think they're so smart and they are so smart, but they just think that they can do it faster than the next guy. I don't know. I think, I think that all gets driven home really well uh, with the home life stuff. Also on an emotional level to like really understand what, what um, Neil Armstrong was going through and, and him struggling with, um, with his home life as well as with the the stress of the space program like i thought that worked really well the dynamic of the two and kind of and i also think it's it's as much about the sacrifice of not just of the astronauts but of of the families and like what it, it asked the question several times like what are we doing what are why are we sacrificing our lives for this and and which could also potentially destroy the people we love uh, the most and I think I thought it dealt with that question really well <clears throat> there's this uh, last weekend there was a full moon out I don't know if you guys saw it um, but I was out pretty late <laughs> and I definitely like looked up at the moon saw how big it was and like took a good long pause and first, first band definitely had a had a big impact on me in the way I like think about that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah, it was just pretty interesting sitting there and like staring up at the moon for a minute or two. Yeah, and so the I recently looked it up, and I guess parts of this movie were shot on sixteen millimeter, and parts of it were shot on thirty five millimeter. But then I, I assume it was the the moon stuff uh, was actually shot on oh. seventy millimeter. Did you guys? Did you guys not see it? I did it on see it. I saw it on Limax, but I wish. Yeah. I kind of wish saw it I on Limax. Is that what they nickname yeah. it now? <laughs> it's the, you know, AMC IMAX just in their theaters. It's still I, it's still a really so, big screen. So nothing changed then The aspect ratio did change. For the yeah. ending? Yeah, the aspect oh, okay, it has good. the same aspect ratio. It's n- it's a uh, it's a much bigger screen. Um, but it doesn't have the resolution or the brightness or the, um, yeah. It's, he he yeah. kind of, he kind of directs the IMAX movie in a way like a cheesy eighties movie would direct like a, th- like a 3d technology, <laughs> you know, where they like throw a like ball into the camera. So like you feel like it's going to hit you mm-hmm. in the face. Um, yeah, uh, that moment at the end, but it worked so well. Like usually when you see, you know, Dunkirk or um, a Christopher Nolan film, like just big scenes just are happen to be in IMAX, then it cuts back. But like the moment he cuts into IMAX, it's so purposeful and planned out and you just gasp when it happens. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really creative. Wow. I wish I saw it on IMAX. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I saw it at the Boeing IMAX theater. 
Yeah. Like, do you want me to tell you what happened? Maybe we'll do that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure. Wait, it's not different, right? It's just a. It's just how it changes. How and when. We'll talk about it after. So Damien Chazelle is going to be up for best director and best picture again, right? I would would hope so, yeah. Though this movie has been waning a little bit critically. Yeah. Hmm. Um, You know, just critically it wasn't like as crazy strong as people thought it would be the month before. And also did it make a lot of money. Yeah, it was kind of a weird floppy... Uh, like big movie. I don't know how big it was budgeted, but I think people, you know, it's Damien Giselle. He's like, like you know, one of those hot directors right now. Yeah. I think it would be like the mm-hmm. big movie of the year, but it just kind of flopped out into the theaters. I I definitely wasn't expecting <laughs> Venom to do so well in this movie. To I don't know if it necessarily flopped because it it. <clears throat> It's not I like think it had flop, a budget of like, like sixty million dollars, and it's made thirty world. Yeah, it's made thirty eight domestic, <laughs> but it, it has made like seventy five million worldwide. So it's not, you know, it's not losing a ton of money. And, but we're, we're it'll too be up for a shit to, ton of awards. We're too early to talk about awards, really, because yeah. so yeah. much of it is like what what sticks around and like you know, uh, kind of what people are still gonna be talking about in in january and february so you know it just box office alone though it's kind of like uh well hopefully a six around hopefully people are still talking about it and i mean you guys certainly loved it but um you know it's if we're just gonna have to see if people are still gonna be talking about it come come when awards time is really kicking in i really really kind of depends on the other movies that come out and if Mm -hmm. other other movies kind of take more attention away from it for sure it's, it's yeah. This guy's career is crazy so far. Yeah, and it's it's such a different movie from uh, both La La Land His last and La La Land <coughs> and Whiplash. Yeah, just slightly, <laughs> just a little. It's not very. It's his first non-jazz based film. <laughs> yeah, that's the most you can say about it's different. So anyway, it doesn't have jazz. Let's move on to the next movie. Um, that movie was First Man, still in theaters now, and clearly you guys recommend seeing it in IMAX or the biggest screen that you can see it in. So we have one more movie we're going to talk about, and I think we're going to do a spoiler section for it, um, because all four of us have seen this one. The uh, I'm talking about Bad Times at the El Royale. So a uh, brief plot summary, circa 1968, several strangers, most with a secret to bury, Meet by chance at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one night, everyone will show their true colors before everything goes to hell. This was written and directed by Drew Goddard, his first film since Cabin in the Woods, which was his only film since then, and uh, stars Jeff Bridges, Cynthia Irvino, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, and Chris Hemsworth. So um, I think Brandon should start this off because he definitely liked it the most. Yeah, I I loved this movie. Um, it's a it's an awesome like '90s mix of like Robert Rodriguez and the Coen Brothers and Quentin Tarantino. It's just got like it's wearing its style on its sleeve in every aspect, um, like in the cinematography, in the set design, and. Um, 
in the the way these actors perform and their kind of kooks and quirks of their their individual characters um and also the way the like movie kind of meanders it's really long it's like two hours and it's exactly two hours and 22 minutes um but for me i felt like had so much going on and the pace kept up and there was so much just to look at and enjoy that i never i never once got bored um the way this movie develops over the course of the night with this cast of very unique i think seven strangers that all meet in this hotel um and near lake tahoe california um they all kind of have different backstories of why they're there and what kind of like seediness they're actually up to and also the hotel in itself um has a huge background that you learn about throughout the film it reminded me a lot of three billboards last year this movie has so many great moments there specifically there is a couple like nick you mentioned in a star is born where you're just like uh bawling your eyes out at like being happy um i not i wasn't necessarily like bawling my eyes out but there was a few like moments in this movie where my heart was just like racing so much with joy of what the filmmaker was was like showing us on screen um and i think it, we are going to get into spoilers so we'll talk about that more towards the end i'm so but, curious um, on what yeah, you're talking about like, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like i'm like there's, there's just moments, there's moments in this of film joy in this movie like <laughs> there's yeah. moments of filmmaking joy in this film <laughs> that like i haven't felt i felt like a, a high schooler watching like a, a kill bill for the first time it was it was just so great and fun so that's what i thought <laughs> all right let's hear about why you guys all hated it i you know i <laughs> drew goddard is amazing mm-hmm. i think like everything he's touched has been really great he's been a really prolific writer he's done like a lot of big he's done a lot of big tv shows he wrote like the martian he's worked with jj abrams on a bunch of stuff and cabin in the woods is like one of my all-time favorites um so i was so excited going into this movie i couldn't imagine anything less than like cabin in the woods uh level of movie coming from this guy and um i and think maybe, like extremely high expectations like, it, it is it, it is really be, high it might be partly expectations why we weren't so riveted by this movie like, yeah exactly like and i it might be better on another watch for me if I give it some time, to give it a couple years, go back and check it out. But it might be better in Dolby Atmos. <laughs> Maybe. Well, everything's better in Dolby Atmos. Everything. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, I found another Dolby Atmos in Woodenville. They added. Yeah. One. But um, <laughs> anyways. Um, I think maybe it, for me, it, it probably meandered a little too much. You kind of forget like that you're watching this movie sometimes like it's just it gets so bogged down in conversations and stuff uh for me at least and i kind of assumed like it seemed so high concept that there was going to be it was leading to like this this thing that was going to blow my mind (laughs) again it's like expectations but uh then it just didn't and then it just kind of ended. Wh- and... Those are two different types of expectations. There's like the expectation of Drew Goddard giving you like an like uh, another cabin in the woods. You know, like yeah. that's that's an expectation before the movie. But like right. I'm with you. There's like another expectation in the movie that's like like the movie makes you believe that it's 
building to an ultimate like crazy sort of like something huge is going to happen. Right. And like, I don't know. Like it kind it kind of breaks that that moment that we're expecting to come in like the third act. It kind of breaks it into these little chunks. It sprinkles it throughout the movie, I think. And uh, I think that's maybe why it doesn't work so well for me. Um, I, I guess know, from if, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I guess for me, like <clears throat> I would say, there was nothing in this movie that I disliked. Uh, I thought everything was really well done, um, from performances to plot to, to um, you know, like how the story unfolds. Uh, I guess if I had one qualm with the movie, it's like it it probably could have been cut down a bit. Um, like it, I did think it was a little too long and meandering, especially kind of in the second half. I was really drawn in to the first half of the movie. Um, and then it just kind of, I guess it, it didn't build to something that kept the pace up and it just kind of kept the same, um, meandering pace, but it didn't, wasn't drawing me in with kind of the mystery of who these characters were and, and why they were there. And, and I feel like we're beating around the ending, like, and we're beating around the movie just a little too much here. So let's just go into spoilers and we can like really like hash it out. So, uh, from here on forward, we're going to be talking about spoilers for bad times of the El Royale. Turn it off. If you don't want to be spoiled, spoilers are happening for bad times. of The El Royale. So that, that opening shot, like, immediately had me with that just long like wide angle of the hotel room and the guy burying Mm, the treasure um all the way up to that gunshot like that is such a well-staged nick offerman introduction to the film yeah that was my favorite scene in the movie i think yeah that was a great scene i don't really know where to go with this um so brandon tell me i i so when you're talking about filmatic joy you're just taught you're taught you're not really talking about what's happening in the movie you're talking about like the style and stuff yeah 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 i guess i mean i think at this the point the moment i'm talking about is in the in the climax of the film when she leans over and asks the um the young hotel you know uh front desk boy to grab the gun and use it and out of nowhere he you know he he looks at the camera. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she's like, why can't you do it? And he's, he admits that because he's killed like 147 people and he can't kill another person. And you kind of realize at that exact moment why he's the character he is and why he's, you know, shooting up heroin in a hotel mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, why he's like, he's, he has fucking PS like PTSD and he's a really troubled like human. And that smash cut to me like i i like threw my hands in front of my mouth i gasped i was like laughing ecstatically with joy at just how amazing that moment was and that cut to the vietnam war um yeah and yeah my whole my whole theater was like giddy i don't I, did you guys not feel that at all uh, no i i really like that moment <clears throat> i was i was um, pretty incredible my, people and then in my theater were reacting People in my theater were reacting bit like vocally, just like you. Um, 
Yeah, I, it was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't like, like that moment. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I. That was like that to me was like okay, one too many things. <laughs> that's like, exactly that's the exact thought that went through my head. I was like another flat. What? Yeah, are you kidding me like, right now? Okay, here but, we go. It's great. There's a couple reasons. It's like the tenth flashback. It was his only. It was his only flashback. Like we've seen a flashback for every character, yeah. and we were waiting for his for his flashback. Or we didn't necessarily know he was a key piece of the puzzle, so we assumed he wasn't going to get one until that moment. And it was the last one we got, and it was the most important one of the film. And I thought that's why it worked for me, and that's why it wasn't just like, oh, this is like there another one. It's like, no, there's there's this many characters, and we get to see everybody's flashback. Um, it's just a weird way to structure like that character's story, I think, because yeah, he's such a side character that I don't really think a whole lot about him throughout the movie. And so when they jump to that scene, I'm not ready to care about him. Like, I don't think they, they didn't do for me, at least I didn't think they did enough to earn uh, a big reaction to that. It's like, Jumping to a side character's backstory isn't uh, it, for me. It didn't feel important. I, I guess didn't for understand me, why we were doing that. For me, I was a little bit like I was almost surprised because, like, I think throughout the whole movie, I saw him as a side character or a background character. Um, but then, like thinking about it, he 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 has so many great scenes throughout the movie. Like, you know, and and everyone you know saying having the so what is this a perv hotel type thing and he has to explain to like several different characters what he's doing and um he plays a a really fun role or or an interesting role throughout the whole movie and then to kind of in the end it turn out that he is a main character and he is important to the plot i thought i thought that worked for me it was kind of almost like how brendan said it was kind of like a twist Right. In the end. Yeah. There were just a lot of twists throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that was that movie. <laughs> and that, like, it was just, I don't know. I felt like with each twist, it, like, let out dramatic tension for me. You know, it's like, like, from when she hits him in the face with the, with the bottle. And then, like, two scenes later, he's just, like, outside in the car with her. Like, yeah, well, you hit me in the face with the bottle. It's no big deal. You know, just. Fair enough. Just slowly, the tension just kept, like, dwindling and escaping and i don't know uh you guys are talking about these flash you guys are talking about these flashbacks and i honestly thought the flashbacks were some of the weakest parts of the movie like i didn't think a lot of them worked that well Hmm. and like i i don't think they helped me get to know the characters that much better and the characters I, i thought all the characters were really like really simple and flat and that's that's why I thought it was too long. Like not because it was meandering and there was a lot of dialogue, just because I don't know. I just didn't really feel like I got to know anyone too well. And so I'm like, I just kept being like, okay, when's this? When's when's this gonna wrap up? You know, because you know, I just kind of got done got done hanging out with them. You know, I hundred percent agree with that. So the bottle scene. Oh, we have to go over it. It worked for me stylistically, but how how did you guys feel about the other like big moments with the um, with the like the seeming kidnapping in the bedroom earlier on? It was really and dis- the first shot. It was really surprising and awesome when John Hamm got killed. 
but I was also extremely disappointed because he was the most interesting character. Yeah. Like for I sure. was like really excited about where he was going to go with him being an FBI agent and like how he was going to fit into the whole puzzle of all of this. I was like, what's going to happen with him? You know? And then, and then he died. The answer is like, nothing. Yeah. The answer is just nothing. <laughs> His... Yeah. Just, Oh, okay. He Did died. anyone I mean, piece together what he was it's actually not nothing. doing there? It does. Yeah. Yeah, okay, totally. Well, like it, it, his reveal still comes later, even though he dies earlier. But they don't do anything with his reveal though either. It's also just like, okay, well, no, uh, they, they throw uh, it in JFK, the fire. Uh, there's footage of JFK probably like um, at the El Royale. That's that's interesting. Except it's also not interesting because they just kind of throw it, it away. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't but matter. But why like, was nothing. I? I guess I still don't understand because like. The it was the guy at the hotel, the the guy running the hotel who actually filmed it. So, it, what were all those like recording devices? I guess they record. So, who were the clients? And like, I guess it was just all separate. Just like, like it was yeah, it's like there's a the CD FBI, hotel there's all these other where a people. lot of things are being recorded. Like a uh, lot of people <clears throat> are going through the hotel, and they're un unknowingly being filmed. Mm-hmm. So it's probably more people than JFK. I mean, it might not even be JFK. That's just what they... It felt like yeah. they were implying it was JFK. Yeah. But uh, it could have been... Like, I think they were also implying that there were probably a lot of other politicians and famous people going through the hotel and doing really seedy things and being filmed unknowingly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a big... They were talking about how it was like a big party spot, like, in years past. And all the, like, high rollers used to hang out there on their way through. What did you guys think of, um, the Chris Hemsworth coming in to the movie at the end? It was pretty he awesome. Was, it reminded he's me of the, the best. <laughs> yeah. He was like my favorite actor in the movie. Who, I think. who was a better <laughs> actor? Chris Hemsworth or Chris Hemsworth, ab? Chris Hem- Hemsworth's abs. <laughs> <laughs> like, did he ever have his shirt buttoned up? I don't think so. His character was so... Like, the way he was acting in that movie was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, like, completely just engaged with, like, his little mannerisms and, like, his inability to be interested in anything he was talking about. And, like, I don't know. It was just so fascinating. He's, like... It was a weird character. And... I don't know. I I loved I lo- I loved him. I thought that was great. Everything with him was great. Um, I'm not sure how well I thought it actually fit, but it kind of felt like too little, too late for me. Like it didn't. Um, it was cool when it happened, but it didn't. I didn't think it connected enough with like the last two hours of the movie for it to be warranted yeah. as a big see, finale yeah i just don't i just don't see that because this whole movie is such a stylized like adventure to to say like one of these i mean you guys are just saying like nothing fit when i guess there's just nothing you can do about that when you're having a movie that's just this this far out there and having this much fun with its writing but it's like all or it's kind of just like all or nothing um with what he was going for I wouldn't. I, I think this movie is probably similar. It'll probably be looked at similarly as like maybe a movie like Donnie Darko, where it's like when you watch it, it's almost impossible to really understand what happened. 
and it's going to take me at least viewing it a couple times to like for these things it everything feels right it feels like so like there's so much time put into it and it's so carefully made that like it can't be this shallow right but well, maybe i just it, missed though? i think i don't because I, I guess I don't believe that Drew Goddard would make something like that. I I don't know how it's any more or less shallow than any other good film like that you gave five stars, like Halloween. <laughs> I mean, it's it the depth of the like filmmaking and the depth of the style is there. I don't know what else you need from a storyline. I, I need characters. I need like a plot that goes somewhere. I need, yeah, like, I need to be connected to this movie in some style. way. I don't just style. Like you're just saying, like over and over that it's just. I don't think it was just. just I, mean, I think this plot there, goes. This plot goes. There was everywhere. Yeah, definitely it goes more. Everywhere. <laughs> I don't need. Like, I do think. I, I do think that rather than it being about like so like uh, a star is born, it's just about two people and their their relationship and it dives hard into just those two people. This one is about what was it? Six or seven people or eight people. If you include like Chris Hemsworth and like, and it, it's a, it's a, a maybe, you know, it doesn't get super in depth. It doesn't go, go nearly as in depth as like a star is born, but it, it does like give an interesting perspective for each one of the characters. And, um, it's about how those characters are are coming together and how they're interacting with each other and kind of what that means, um, like thematically, how these characters are are coming together. I think, and I do. I think there's there is an there's some very interesting stuff that it was playing with that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I know I know I sound like I'm like totally hating on this movie, and like I really. I really didn't even think it was like a bad movie. I just like I I gave it three stars because it finished and I was like okay, like I enjoyed that. Um, it's a little long, but uh, yeah, you know that was that was good. You know I just like me and Shannon would just kind of look at each other. You know this was the first movie that you know we had been to that she's been to theater for since uh, our baby was born, and we were just like okay, well that was that was a movie. Okay. Like we went home and my parents were like, you know, how was the movie? And we were like, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was fine. I'm kind of, I am kind of the same way. Uh, maybe I gave it like three and a half stars and, and I can kind of see maybe if I saw it again, I could probably bump it up to four stars or maybe I could be convinced to bump it up a little bit, but it was like, I didn't really think about the movie too much afterwards. It was just a really fun kind of uh, uh, stylized experience with with some interesting thematic elements to it. And but it didn't wasn't really uh, in depth enough to make me think about it afterwards or or make me gush about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend it to just about anyone. I think it's a very easy movie to recommend to people. It's it's fun. It's funny. It's maybe a little long, but other than that, like it's it's just like the actors are, um, you know, just really committing to their roles in a in a really fun way. And yeah, I did think it was a pretty inter- very entertaining movie. Did you guys ever see August Osage County? No. Yeah, I saw that. No. Okay. Or, like, 
So it really reminded me of these like low, which is really common on Broadway, like low budget plays where it's just a bunch of people hanging out in a house for three hours and, or like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Like I've seen so many plays like this where just a bunch of random characters come together for some reason and all of them are just dealing with so much shit. And then throughout the play, you realize how like intertwined it is. Um, and so this was very much like a uh, like a typical famous Broadway play that you would see, but just like injected with, um, I don't want to use the word style again, uh, <laughs> <laughs> injected with having fun, I guess, with that. Um, not just melodrama, but fun drama. Yeah, it almost kind of felt like a bottle episode where it was like, how much, cre- how much creative things can we get out of this one location like how how what can we do to like with the, with the these random characters this one location bring them all together see how they play off each other like and what can we what creative things can we do with that and the location was pretty cool i mm-hmm. liked uh, i liked the set yeah it was a pretty cool idea of having it be in both states in california and nevada Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it was, it was pretty creative. The the set. So I have two two like final thoughts. Um, kind of reiterating, I think that for me, this movie, my suspicion is that it was very much a victim of my expectations. And I, I bet I like I'm. It's gonna be a while before I rewatch it, just because I don't have super fond memories of it. But I bet it's something I'm going to like in the future when I can approach it with different expectations. Seven just years kind of from enjoy. now, you're gonna be like, "Wow, that movie, bad times." <laughs> I yeah, because well, even Brandon just describing like play, like that perspective, like makes more sense to me watching this. I bet you, I would probably enjoy it more just have like viewing it from that perspective or just a different perspective as opposed to like when's like that crazy half hour going to kick in uh like cabin in the woods or when when is you know when is all this like weird stuff going to culminate in the thing that's going to blow my mind kind of thing um so yeah i think i'll like it more but uh for now it's very meh for me but i will say um some effective filmmaking i don't know if this is what he was going for or not but because of the meandering uh, feeling of this movie there's that so the bottle scene when they're talking for so long and i'm kind of starting to disengage a little bit uh, that when she hits me over the head with the bottle this is the s- most afraid i've been in years <laughs> i literally like i yelled in the theater i like almost dropped my candy i was like i lost like that scared the shit out of me oh no <laughs> Your Twizzlers? No, my oh, your Twizzlers. Pens. Twizzlers, gross. Red vines. Red vines. Yeah, we're oh yeah, red vines. Family. Yeah, it like I was kind of embarrassed. I was so loud, like so verbally <laughs> shocked. <laughs> it has the only one. Wow. But yeah. Well, um, so that was the month of October. Um, we don't really have a preview section for the next month, but I know I'm excited about a few movies and. Pay attention, uh, keep an eye open for me and Derek's uh, special uh, Horror Movie Month episode. And um, uh, before we sign off, uh, Brandon, where can people find you online? 
can find me at letterbox at Beb and Instagram Brandon underscore Bulby. And Sean, what about you? Uh, you can find me at Letterboxd uh, at Bulbinator. Cool, and Derek? Uh, Letterboxd at Chicken Tack. Cool, I'm on Letterboxd as well, Mothman23. Remember, it's a fun way to, it's like social media, but for for just movie lovers. So, uh, I don't know, I love being able to follow you guys and follow uh, other people and just write reviews and stuff. So, um, follow us on Letterboxd. Anyway, uh, so with that, we'll see you next month. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.